McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Poppy fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 105. Well, it's been a quick turnaround, and Pompey are about to appoint Danny Cowley as the next Portsmouth manager. Joining the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing very well, Hugh. Yeah, um, the Cowleys is the next manager. It's going to be interesting. On a short-term deal, per Neil and the news, I was apparently a bit too harsh on them in the last podcast, saying they were long ball merchants um my mind's changed a bit but we'll go into that later on shall we yeah definitely and uh you don't have the same excuse as me and uh andy who are literally tonked up on gin and beers and the only reason we we're doing a podcast that drunk was because it was an emergency podcast that needed to be done so take it as it comes sam stone how are you mate i'm good mate thanks for having me back on yeah that was a really interesting listen on sunday with uh with you guys yeah yeah, on thoughts on Cowley, just initially, yeah, it's exciting. been such an eventful week uh, at Pompey. And initially, a bit like Freddie, I was a bit like, oh, not too sure on it. But after doing a lot of research, which I'm sure we're going to get into, I think it's quite an exciting appointment. And um, yeah, so I'm really excited to kind of dissect that with you guys. No, it's going to be it's going to be an exciting, action-packed show, as always. But we've literally pulled one, an absolute scream out the bag here. So let's get into it. First of all, we're going to do a quick two-minute summary on the Peterborough Gray game. So just to work out where Pompey are. Following on from that, we're going to speak to the guys from the Stacey West blog. It's the Lincoln City podcast and fan site. They're going to give us the total lowdown on the Cowleys, what to expect, just to get you guys up to speed on what, what the new manager is going to be like. Then from there, we've taken all your questions. And thanks again for all the questions, the tweets. They've come flooding in. Let's be honest, people are getting excited again. Jackets out. We can all we can all rejoice. We can get involved again. And it's just been shown by the mad amounts of interaction. So cheers to everyone. Cheers to all you guys. We really appreciate it. And we're going to get through as many as possible. So yeah. And then following that, we're speaking to Benjamin Bloom from the Blue Monday podcast, who's going to give us the lowdown of everything you guys need to know about the game against Ipswich. Right, let's go for it, guys. This bit's the the sort of little bit less glamorous section. So let's get it over and done with. Peterborough, Sam, why do we start with three at the back? I mean, Joe Gallen, you, do you know what? Did he go out with a bang? Did he go out with the way that he sort of set up originally? He thought, you know what? I'm going to go out in true Kenny Jacket style, set up the team with the worst formation we've seen all season. Yeah, I, I mean, that first half, just it was just the most ultra-defensive football you could ever see. You know, on FIFA, when you're, when you're trying not to concede, you whack it in ultra-defensive and... It was almost like that. It was it was pretty remarkable. And their commentators kept on saying, you know, like this is what are these tactics from Pompey? Because it just it was just so defensive. I mean, when you've got your two forwards almost 
almost defending your own box. Every All 11 players were behind the ball pretty much at any time when Peter had the ball. You could say to some extent it did work. Um, obviously, they scored a very kind of fortuitous goal and rather unfortunate goal to lose to. But it, you could say it worked. It did stifle them. And in some sense, if you're going to Peterborough, you've got the most potent attack, one of the most potent attacks in the league with Dembele, Clark Harris and Schmodix if he was playing as well. You could say that it's, a, it's potentially a good way of playing, but given the Jack just left, you'd have thought that Gallon maybe would have let the reins off a little bit, a little bit more attacking football. Um, yeah, it was just it was just that first half just really cost us the game. And I will say this, the second half, I did think we actually looked not not good, but we just looked a little had a little bit more intent, a little bit more going forward, um, and maybe slightly unlucky not to get something out of the game because I. Uh, Peterborough being top, I didn't actually think they offered that much on the whole. Um, I, I heard their commentators saying that Clark Harris was giving Rasmus Nikolaisen a, a run. He was beating him every time, but I really didn't see that at all. I, I can't really remember Clark Harris touching the ball, um, especially in that second half. But yeah, the, the first half has ultimately cost us that game. You're just allowing them too many opportunities, too, too much possession, too many chances to get set pieces. And that's ultimately what's cost us. Freddie, it was one of those games that, as Sam said, bizarre, set up for a point. Not what you want with a new manager bounce as such or your old managers out the door, but it was in some ways with Joe being there. It was a little bit more of the the same old, same old in the first half. But things did improve in the second half, didn't they? Yeah, the um, the tactics the tactics to start with were a nonsense. As soon as I saw Bolton and Brown as the wing backs, I thought, yeah, this is going to be five at the back trying to keep it as nil-nil for as long as possible, stifle Peterborough and hope they get frustrated and uh, leak a chance. Yeah, the second half was a bit better. The XG chart showed it. Portsmouth got most the majority of their scoring chances in the second half. Hewler had a decent shot when he came on, but I still wasn't that impressed. Not exactly a new manager bounce. It was as if Kenny Jacket was still in the dugout the way they were playing. And I... Didn't really care about it that much, to be honest. I knew uh, we get, we're going to get into the exciting bit because change is actually going to happen. So that'll be nice. What I'm going to try and take from this is the fact that when we changed back to 4-4-2, we looked better. What I didn't appreciate was the fact that every time we want a free kick back in our own half, the centre-backs went forward. Everyone piled up. Here comes a set play. It's one of our opportunities to score. Get everyone up. Ragged piles forward. Everyone's there. Arms in the air. Some of the free kicks aren't even making it as far as the box, but we've decided to try and load it all forward on the hope that it scrambles, the ball bounces funnily, and it goes in. And, and a few times it nearly did. You know, there were a few chances. I thought Harness coming on looked more lively, more direct. You needed a player who actually wanted to pick the ball up and run at players. He comes on, he, he takes the ball past somebody, he actually wins a corner straight away, which is probably the most positive thing I thought that had happened all game. And then he has a chance late on. You could say he should score that. Guy Whittingham says he should score. Ball bounces a bit. You know, he's, he should get it on target at least. But you know what? He was in the right place at the right time. Made some good runs. And I thought Harvey White, again, he came into the box, probably should have scored again as well. So as Sam says, Peter didn't look that impressive. Pompey certainly weren't any sort of attacking dynamo or anything to shout home about and did set up for a draw. But in the end of the day, if we'd scraped a draw, it would have been Peterborough that let themselves down, I reckon, rather than us. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't impressed by Peterborough at all. A good good point you've made there is that we kind of, we set up 
to kind of stifle them. We did, there was no, at no point were we trying to put like imprint our kind of philosophy on the game, whatever that may be. We weren't going to take the games to them. We weren't going to try and get at them in the first half. And, and you could say that the second half, we almost, the pressure and that we kind of built up and we, we got a few half chances with a few headers and stuff, but that was caused by our poor first half, our poor first half performance. And if, and if they hadn't scored that corner, I couldn't, I actually don't think we would have come out in the second half and tried to get a goal. I, I believe in the second half, we would have, would have just sat back. But those first half tactics were very, very poor. Peterborough weren't, didn't show that they were a side that deserved to be top of the table, second in, in the table in that game. I didn't think they created that as many chances as they could have done, whether it was just that Portsmouth had everybody behind the ball in the first half or not. Yeah, generally, I wasn't impressed and I was surprised by that. It was quite a dull game, really, wasn't it? Let's not take anything out of it. Neither team looked particularly good. It actually looked like a very mid-table end of the season game where two teams sort of didn't have much to play for, which is really funny because they obviously do. But that's where we are now. That is the level where the team are. What what we want to see soon is Danny Cowley comes in and makes an impact. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. All right, I'm here with Gary from the Stacey West vlog. And Gary, thanks for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure to be here. Nice one, mate. Well, Pompey are in the midst of appointing the, the Cowley brothers. It's been reported by every credible source across across ports of and you know around the country that it's happening, and they're just signing the paperwork, you know, dotting your eyes, crossing your t's, and all that malarkey. So it's it's really appreciate if you come in on the the podcast such short notice of a man who actually knows something about him, really. Yeah, um, yeah, I know quite a bit about him. Um, I knew him on on a personal level as well. So um, yeah, whatever you need to know about Danny and Nikki, hopefully I can fill you in. Sweet. Let's get started then. So when Danny and Nicky came into Lincoln as a pair, what sort of situation was the club in and you know, how did they get things going? I'm not sure what language I can use. Um, so we'll say that the club was... Any language the, you want, mate. Any we, were, we were on our arse and dying quickly. Um, the previous manager uh, was a local lad. He, he'd done well, he'd, he'd kept the club afloat, but we were going nowhere five years in the National League. You know, we were stagnating, becoming a Wrexham or a Stockport, something like that. Um, and Danny and Nicky just came in and in their, their first press conference, they were announced at, at, at the bar at the club and the whole place was heaving. And there was such a kind of an excitement because they've done a great job, job at Braintree on next to nothing. And um, so we thought, you know, if they're going to come into Lincoln, we were relatively big players in a division that we felt perhaps um, we, we should be a little bit higher than. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you guys at all. Um, and they basically just <laughs> they just came came into the club and it just instantly energised the club. Um, they would just you know they they would you could stop them in the street. You'd see them walking through Lincoln. They would have time for anybody. They were um, managers of the fans before a ball had even been kicked. Uh, they, they, it was like lighting a firework. I mean, my dad's been a Lincoln fan for all his life, so 60, 60 odd years, and it was the first time he bought a season ticket because he just said the first time he heard them speak. They knew what they wanted. They knew the direction they wanted to take the club in. Um, and within weeks of the season kicking off, it was obvious that you know, they were different gravy. Um, I mean, they convinced players to drop down to the National League who had been promoted. So Nathan Arnold had been promoted with Grimsby the previous year, scored the goal at Wembley that got Grimsby promoted. He convinced them to sign, uh, him to sign. Alex Woodyard, who's obviously now at Tranmere, I think, 
Sean Raggett, who obviously you know well, um, who was a, a great player for us at the time, he was on his way up to Barrow, uh, or Tra- I think Barrow or Tranmere, to sign. Danny and Nicky got on the phone and said, come and see us. And they put pen to paper two hours later while they were still waiting at his other club for him to come and sign. They're just, you know, they're infectious. And that's not a word that you can use lightly in 2020, 21, is it? Um, but they just, yeah, they just set the, they set the place on fire. Um, and that first season, with due respect as well, um, they played some decent football when they needed to. The long ball tag, they're not long ball like Steve Evans, Keith Curl, you know, ugly, ugly long ball. They'll go direct when they need to, but don't be fooled into thinking that's the only weapon in their arsenal. That's interesting because that was something that when we discussed potential managers last week, you know, me and Freddie have been banging on about for for years now of the need to try and get somebody in within the sort of Daniel Stendhal sort of mould and when we watched him play at Barnsley and that sort of 4-3-3, you know, as a bunch of football stat nerd sort of talking people, we were like, oh, it's great. And then we saw he was being linked to the to it and we all got excited and it was sort of like Stendhal or bust in our head. And then it sort of petered out a little bit now. And I think Pompey fans have come around to the idea that the Cowleys are not just long ball merchants, as you just said there. And how did he mix it up with Lincoln then in his in his time there? Was it a case of managing the players and working out what players he's got and playing from there or how did he assess what sort of system to use yeah it was needs must so when he first came in you know, we, we lacked a goal scorer and we have done virtually every year since apart bar one and Matt Reed was on his way he was going to Barrow look Matt Reed was what he was he was a great big lump he couldn't run 10 yards but he'd win you a game of football and we played to his strength get it forward to big Matt it sticks to him and that sounds really basic but don't forget, you've got the likes of Nathan Arnold on one flank. We had a lad called Adam Marriott, who was such a beautiful footballer, but he had done his um, Achilles tendon, I think, while he was at Stevenage on the verge of a big move. So when we wanted to play nice football, it was nice football. But look, if we got into a fight, um, we could hold our own. And one or two teams out-battled us. Uh, a Barrow, for instance, so I think we lost twice to them that season, and they were quite direct as well. When we came into the Football League, it did change a little bit. It did get a little bit more what I call sort of belts and braces. It was get forward a little bit quicker. But remember, we had, we had Matt Green playing up front. Now, Matt Green wasn't a target man. He was intended to play off a target man. So when he came in, we thought it's going to be 4-4-2 perhaps with Green and big Matt Reed up front. But in actual fact, it wasn't. He played, uh, then he went into like a 4-2-3-1. So Matt Green up front, but then he would play a, a more of a target man in a, in a deep lion 10 role. Um, always liked what I call his double sixes in front of the back four. Um, so he, he kind of, that can quickly migrate into a, a 4-1-4-1 or 4-2-3-1. Um, Alex Woodyard was the player in that role. He was absolutely superb for us. And don't, you know, one thing I would say about Danny and Nicky Cowley is they like to go back and pick players up who they've had previously. Um, and Alex Woodyard's doing a great job at Wimbledon. Do not be surprised if they go and try and get Alex Woodyard for Portsmouth because he was he was like their son. He like he practically nearly lived with them. Second year, um, we we had a better budget, so we spent quite a bit more on players. We got big John Akindi up front, and what they like to do when they play away. They like to have the big man up top so that if they're going to be under pressure against a team like Berry, for instance, who are very much possession based, it was then get the ball forward, get it held up, not bounce off them and pick up the second or the third, hold it up and then get players like Danny Rose at Ipswich and Macclesfield, get players like that then on the ball in those gaps and sort of them play in front of the 18 yard area. Um, 
it worked very, very well. I mean, when we needed to fight against the likes of MK Dons, we went there and won 2-1. They were playing all their nice so-called pretty football um, and we just smashed them on 1-2-1. Uh, the game against Berry, which was very much kind of the in-possession team versus out-of-possession team, that was 3-3. But you know, Berry had this swashbuckling, forward-thinking, great football inside. But out of possession, Danny's team worked harder than anyone I've ever known. He then changed it when we got into League One. We only saw him, remember, for probably three months, I think, before they left for Huddersfield. But then it suddenly became much different. There was a lot more football being played. He brought in Jack Payne. He brought in George Grant. Um, he brought in Tyler Walker on loan. And I mean, I remember having a conversation with him and he said, look, we're not going to go into League One and win games like we did in League Two. So I've got to entertain the fans to keep them coming in. Fans will pay for two things, winning football or attractive football. So he knows the difference and he can switch it up. Sadly, we never got to see the end of that because his head was turned by Huddersfield. Um, but yeah, that, that's a brief overview of, of what to expect in terms of tactics, I think. No, it's incredibly interesting because um, a lot of people accuse that Huddersfield side. And I think I personally looked a lot about that Huddersfield side because they were on TV a fair bit with the Cowleys playing. And they they were very one-dimensional to a certain degree. So it's, so it's good. that. Do you think they're a proactive set of managers in terms of looking at the opposition and tweaking, and they have a tactical base, but then they tweak it slightly for different opposition they play against? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just to pick up on, on the Huddersfield point there, first of all, the problem that you have with Danny and Nicky is that they develop and work with the players. They bring in their own generals. They work the style around that. They should never have gone into a team like Huddersfield in mid-season because they were only ever going to go um, kind of heavy metal approach, one-dimensional to keep them up. Had they then gone into the next season, you would have seen something a little bit different, I believe, um, from Huddersfield. You might have seen, you'd certainly seen, um, without sounding xenophobic, you'd have certainly seen a very working class British side, something that Danny and Nicky like. They want uh, a side that fans can identify with, not players that you drink down the pub, but that kind of era. You know, they, they, they're really big community community uh, managers. So they're moving on, as you say, uh, about having a set base and tweaking. They are managers who manage against the opposition, not for themselves. So, for instance, we have Michael Appleton now. He picks a side, he puts that side out. Whatever the other team are doing, he very rarely changes that. Danny and Nicky will spend hours and hours watching videos, analysing and making sure that they neutralise certain threats, especially coming down to Portsmouth. You know, they're going to be away from their families, so they'll be living in a house together. They'll still be watching videos at 11, 12 at night and then delivering that video content the next day. Each player will get video content based on their particular role and who they're coming up against. So they'll clip, um, I think they use Huddle, they'll clip certain things from certain players on Huddle. Look, if the if your positions bring a surprise, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it, it, when it doesn't work, it looks bad. We lost 4-1 at home to Crewe, 3-0 at home to Colchester the day we were crowned champions. You know, and it didn't work those days. But they, they're the sort of managers that do well in games against bigger teams or game teams that are inflexible. Um, and sometimes they struggled against the lower opposition. Uh, but when I say sometimes, you know, best win percentage, I think, of any Lincoln City managers ever, more trophies than any Lincoln City managers ever. Um, you know, what they do, they do well. You mentioned um, that um, oh. th that that needs and wants to bring in players that the fans who connect with. I watched a quick YouTube video about that. And he stressed that a lot. And he used that to give that connection between the fans and the club again, because I'm sure with Lincoln being in the conference for a long time, I bet that 
was a big disconnect. And it's similar to it's similar now with Portsmouth. The fans are quite disconnected with the club, so mainly because they can't go and they haven't agreed with the management for a while. Do you think they, the Cali brothers, even on a short-term deal, can bring that connection back again? They'll rely on that connection over the next three months, without a doubt, because they have no intention of going into a job for three months, if that's what I think I've been reading. No intention whatsoever. They want to go into a club that they can add value to, and they add value to that by getting the fans on side. Because let's face it, if you're a manager and you have your, you have the fans backing, it's much easier to stay in a job. They will have looked, because they were linked with Charlton as well, they will have looked at Portsmouth. They know that your owner has shown Kenny Jacket what I believe from an outsider looking in to be unbelievable patience over yeah. <laughs> even though there's top 10 finishes it's been top 10 finishes that are classed as failures because you shouldn't be in this division Danny and Nicky will understand that they've, they've, they've had the owners back in in the past so this isn't an owner that's going to go at three months time keeps you up and goes right we're going to go for something else if 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 he gets you into the playoffs for instance or there's a level of success then they're going to kick on. But they rely on the fans backing. They rely on the goodwill. Um, it's not even about the, the players that they'll sign in the first instance because that's not what they can do. They will come in, they'll tell you all the right things. If it, when, he, when he's announced, his first press conference will be, this is a special club. We want to add value. It's a club that have got unique fans. Whenever we've played against Portsmouth, whenever we've seen Portsmouth, the fans stand out genuinely presses all, you know, all the buttons that you want pressing as a fan. He knows exactly how to press them. We did hear him say it at Huddersfield. We did hear him say it when he came to Lincoln, that it isn't just um, sort of uh, waxing lyrical. Do you know what I mean? He, he does mean it. So I, I think genuinely, I think that it's the best appointment you could make in terms of rebuilding um, rebuilding reputation, uh, the club's reputation with the fans, without a doubt. Bring it on, Danny. Press my buttons. We're ready for it. Um, Sam? <laughs> this season, you've been doing really well under Malcolm Appleton. Very successful. Um, would you say that the kind of structure and template that he left, that Cowley left, has benefited Appleton? Kind of, you said the players that he brought in under him in that in that first season under in League One. You said a bit more progressive style. Would you say that's kind of benefited you this season? Yes and no. In the context of the question, uh, the work that Danny put in in the preseason uh, when we came into League One was more or less completely undone by Michael. Um, I think the only two players we have remaining at the club, George Grant and Harry Anderson um, from when Harry came in. But that's down to Michael Appleton more than anything. What Danny did have in League One was a squad that was of a certain age. So your John Akindis, your Bruno Andrades, we had Jason Shackle who was 35, Michael Boswick in his 30s, Neil Erdley in his 30s. We had an ageing squad that needed overhauling anyway. And I think the issue, the reason Danny left was he wanted a, a, a good budget to be able to do that. And the club weren't in a position to offer that budget. There was a frank conversation. Um, and, and essentially, Danny said, well, look, if you can't promise the budget, then we'll go. And the chairman said, that's absolutely fine. So it wasn't acrimonious. But I think in the wider context of what Danny and Nicky, and, and it's very much Danny and Nicky, but um, don't be fooled in thinking Danny's the manager and Nicky's the spare part. They think and breathe as one. Whatever your, whatever the chairman pays Danny, if he pays Nicky less, Danny will just top it up so that they get paid the same. It's the way they work. What Danny and Nicky put into our club in terms of structure has stood us in good stead. We didn't have a training ground. So when we came up out of the National League and we went on the FA Cup run, it wasn't, can I have money for players? It was billed as a training ground. When the training ground was built and things weren't going right, Danny and Nicky would st not stamp their feet, but it would be they would use the media to make sure that any issues were highlighted. That's what they gave our club. They gave the youth system structure. 
they gave the training centre structure, but they are very hands-on. These are not two people who are going to come in as head coaches. They are managers. They will want a certain degree of autonomy over the way that the club and the football side is run. They won't work under a director of football. They clash too much. They're not selfish and not arrogant. They're not going to say it's my way or the highway, but they have a very, very clear vision. They, they used to refer to it at Lincoln as the method. They have a method for developing youngsters, for developing players, for training, for coaching, for tactics. So that, that's, that, that's what they gave the club even if the player's legacy isn't still remaining. I think that's fair enough because I think Portsmouth needs some, and this is my opinion, and I think the opinion of a fair amount of fans, that we need some serious overhaul of the systems going on. You know, we're losing coaches, youth coaches going to Brighton. You know, we've just lost our strength and conditioning coach. He's, he's bailed ship as well now. We haven't got under-23s or a development squad at the club still. The club don't seem to be bought into that idea at all. We spoke to Mark Catlin, our CEO, on the podcast, and he's sort of not really that interested in that model. But at the same time, they've always backed what Kenny wants and what Kenny thinks is right before. So I think a lot of the footballing stuff has always come from what Jacket said. And Mark's joked around about talking to Jacket, and he's been like, well, you know, I've asked him about this, but it's a football thing, so I just leave it to him sort of thing to get on with it. So I think the owners tend to trust in Mark and Mark tends to trust really in the manager. So it's not a case of people getting in their way. There's no one else. There's no director of football at Portsmouth who tries to, you know, stamp his authority, recruit or add to a style. They'll be relying on, on the two of them to come in really and implement a culture, implement their vision and their change, which is why it seems so odd to me that they've been given a four month or whatever it is contract, because it just, the two things don't, really marry up in my head I'm just try, sort of trying to work that out but I think they've realised they've got to have a short term appointment just because they need to get an appointment in now so maybe they're just being a bit overly cautious on the level of okay we had to make it up in a week because you know they seem to have come around to that let's take the plunge just get rid of Kenny which I didn't want to do uh, one win in nine in all competitions so I am a little bit worried that we set them up basically for a little bit of a tough task um, all right, sorry, I've been babbling on for a second. Sam, what was your other question? Oh yeah, so this is a this might is quite a tough one to answer, but obviously because you've been successful this season, where do you think you could have gone? Where do you think the Cowleys would have taken Lincoln if they was if they'd remained at the club and not gone to Huddersfield? Great question. Um, I'm going to answer it as if as if COVID never came, because I think it would have been heavily affected by COVID. Um, and, I, and I'm not sure quite how Danny and Nicky would have been able to manage that, whether that was in budgets or, or, or whatever, I don't know. Um, when they left us, they left uh, the week uh, that we played a top of the table clash, us and Wickham were first and second and Wickham beat us 3-1. So we were, we were on the right track. I don't think that that could have lasted forever. Um, I don't think that we would have been ch- uh, automatic promotion contenders, but I don't think there was a Lincoln fan um, anywhere in the ground that thought that we would finish outside the top 10 because they know how not to lose. And I think that's really important. They don't set out not to lose because I think that's the mark of a very bad manager, um, but they know how not to lose. So he, Danny used to have a saying, refuse to lose, that you know, even if you're 1-0 down and you're into the 90th minute, they still, they were still had a plan. They still wanted to push forward. And if you've looked at YouTube videos, um, Torquay Easter Monday in the National League, uh, Gateshead uh, on, in fact, Gateshead on the good on the Easter Monday, Torquay on the Good Friday, one nil down in the last minute of both games, one two one. 
Burnley in the FA Cup with Sean Raggett. And, and when you look at the Burnley clip, this is really important. You look at the clip, Raggett scores, they go off and celebrate. The camera pans to Cowley and he's there getting Jamie McComb stripped off. He would never have celebrated a 90th minute goal, a non-league side away, a Premier League side. It's right, how do we now win the game? When, they, when the final whistle went on a game, his next focus would always, always be the next game. So there was a Saturday night where I did an interview with him. And we'd won. Uh, it was in the. It was in League Two. I can't remember who we'd played. I rang him up, and in the background, Nicky was already watching videos of our next opponents on the Tuesday night. And this was at five forty-five on the Saturday. So I think, in terms of where they could have taken us, I always said they'd take us to the Championship long term, and I believe that. I believe that perhaps if COVID hadn't kicked in, within two years, we could have done a Wickham. We might not have done it quite as. Um, nakedly, as, as Gareth Ainsworth does, you know, pump it up to Akin Fenway, get round them, you know, and then use points per game to go up when we don't fully deserve it. Um, we would have gone up properly, organically, naturally. Um, it would always back us in the playoffs against, I know we, we went out to Exeter, um, but I would always back us over two games. That was very much injury related. Uh, we missed out on transfer targets at, at that point, which is probably why we struggled. Uh, after that, I always thought their progression was going to be Lincoln Championship. And we looked to get relegated, Ipswich, two seasons back in the Premier League and then to their ultimate goal of West Ham. It seems now it'll be Portsmouth and then to West Ham in a couple of years when they've put you back in the Premier League, I suppose. Interesting that you said about fighting back from behind because Portsmouth have not come back from behind in two years to win a game after conceding the first goal, which is a real, real flubbergasting stat, I know. But it just shows a real lack of mental toughness within within the squad from a from a coaching point of view and I'm not not laying that on the players I actually am saying that if they can come in and have that no lose mentality or have the ability to get Pompey to come back from win 2-1 from 1-0 down that's a huge difference straight away to the team before we even look at style of play or how they're going to implement that or whatever if this team can believe they go 1-0 down to Peterborough, 20 minutes, whatever it was in, and actually there is a possibility they will come back and get all three points. That could be a season-defining moment or a season-defining change anyway for us. And yeah, getting into the playoffs would be would be huge for us from where we are now in 10th position. I think it's fair to say you don't need to go championship or bust. You know That was something we spoke about with Jackie, but he's, he's sunk us into such a bad position now that... I don't think that's a fair thing to expect a new manager to come in and have to pick up the torch on that one. So if you can get us back into the top six or and even show some fight with the team, even, you know, show the difference, you know, show them coming back from behind to win a game. I think that that would be that would be good enough, hopefully, to, to help cement him for, for next season. And then I'll be really excited to see where they can take the club from there. Um, you know, I know you've interviewed him, so there's a lot of like, normal stuff that we're talking about and, you know, sort of tactics and, and that kind of thing. But is there anything that sort of, I don't know, uh, stands out to you from your chat about him that, you know, maybe you might have thought about, I don't know, down the pub having a laugh? Or is, is there anything interesting that people don't really know about Danny Cowley that you could share with us? Um, I think this, the, the dynamic between him and Nicky is really interesting. I remember we were at the, uh, they got the freedom of Lincoln and um, there was myself and somebody else had nominated them. So we, we all kind of went along. And um, I remember Nicky saying that, that Danny's the sort of person that will walk into a supermarket and he's looking to make eye contact with people because he wants to talk to the kids. He wants to sign shirts. 
Whereas Nicky's very much, you know, he would he would wear a veil if he could um, and kind of walk in. And I think from um, it's interesting from a fan driven media point of view, because, I mean, I started my site before they came uh, very, a long, quite a long while before they came very, very quickly. And they got involved in, in fundraising and there was a, a, a dinner. They agreed to come around to somebody's house for dinner, believe it or not. And there was a dinner party of 12 and I, I bought a, a seat. They walked in and um, they were they was like, oh, we know you. How do, how do you know me? Yeah, we read the Stacey West. So, well, why is that? Because you've got to know what the fans are thinking. You've got to know what the fans are saying about you. And from that point on, every so often, you know, I'd sit down and eat my tea. I'd look at my phone, this called Danny Cowley. And you'd pick it up and he'd be, sometimes he'd be picking me up on something that I, I'd said. So um, we drew with Oldham. I think we drew one all. We'd had a man sent off. They'd had a man sent off rather. And instead of killing the game off in the second half, it had been a real struggle. We'd ended up still drawing one all. Um, and I remember him ringing me and it was like three quarters of an hour of why we didn't win the game with every stat you could believe. He was telling me about John Akindi's, um heading ratio. He was telling me why Oldham had done well. They'd, Oldham had got Sam Surridge uh, on loan, I think, at the time, who uh, was at Yeovil, I think, as well, Bournemouth player. And he was telling me why Surridge did really well and why he had tried to sign Surridge on loan and why he'd then had to settle here and there. So he's really, um, he'll talk to anybody about anything. And he puts a huge level of trust in people. I mean, he, I remember him telling me, Bradley Wood, I don't know if you remember Bradley Wood, he was our player who deliberately got booked um, in the FA Cup ties and was later banned for football, I think, from life um, for admitting it because he, he gambled on it. I remember being in a press conference um, and we did all the normal press stuff. And then Danny said, right, I want you and took me out. And he said, uh, it was, so what, what do you know about the Bradley Wood situation? It's like, well, who am I? I'm not radio. I'm not press. You know, I'm just some guy that's pretending to be that on a, on a local website kind of thing. Um, but he's got this real way of if you, when you meet him and you will, yeah, he'll make you feel like you're the only fan. And it's that, it's that gift. Like whatever he does, tactics, player signing, analyzing other players, whatever he does, that's not his gift. His gift is making you feel like you are the one. When he signs players, it's how he's managed. It's how he managed to pull off the likes of John Akindi, because John Akindi didn't want to move up from the south. He was more than settled. He wanted to move to like he has now a Gillingham or something like that. But Danny sold him it. So it's his personality. He's just got this. Um, I don't know. He's just got this something about him, um, and 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 that's the unique selling point. This isn't just a football manager and. You say there about the, the short term. I'd be, I'd really worry about. That's the one thing I would worry about, because for me, you're not going to see the value in Danny and Nicky Cowley until the beginning of next season. Mm. So if they come in and they find everything, they've got a set of players they can't work with, and you've got Sean Raggett, so that's fine because Sean was somebody they loved as well. But if, if for instance, a player like um, I know Pittman's gone now, but that sort of a kind of a, an abrasive character, I might be wrong. You know, difficult no, right. to get along with. Yeah. If, if there's a couple of those in the squad, they may end up having to kind of reshape. So you know, I don't think they're a quick fix for the playoffs. Um, they're an, for me, they're an investment in the long term. And remember, this move is more important for them than it is for you guys, because if they come into Portsmouth and fail, they're perceived to have failed at Huddersfield. If they're perceived to have failed at Portsmouth, they're just going to be another Paul Hurst who went up into, obviously, with Ipswich and then just came back down again and is now in League Two. This is their last chance to prove their League One championship quality, even though it's ridiculous that they only had a few months at Huddersfield. Yeah, no, I can see that massively. And I just want to say, Danny, if you are listening, at PO Forecast, 
I will give you my <laughs> mobile number. You can call me anytime you want uh, to talk anything through. So yeah, that'd be sweet. Um, and love to have you. Love to have you on the show. Ten o'clock one night. Ten o'clock one night. I got a phone call after we had gone to Huddersfield. Yeah, uh, I was on the phone till about half eleven. Genuinely, <laughs> I, was just, I was laid in bed talking to Danny Cowley. Like, anytime, twenty four hours. You know, I've to say like, something I'm at the so, I'm sorry, Danny Cowley's on the phone. You know, you have to you have to leave the room. <laughs> Two a.m. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Um, no, that's sweet, Freddie. What you saying? Uh, there was one last thing that I wanted to bring up, and of course, fans would love hearing this this sort of thing because of. Even though Kane Jackets was a gentleman in the way he worked, even though people didn't agree with him tactically, people didn't think that he had that passion that it sounds like Danny and Nicky have, which is great to hear. One one other negative thing in the back of my head, and you might be able to distill me from this, what are they like if the board doesn't give them certain things? We're already sort of seeing it with the short-term deal they're getting. What if, for example, if they get extended and they ask for a development squad, and the board say, oh, we can't do this because of X, Y, Z. Oh, what if he wants certain players, so oh, we can't do it because of COVID? Uh, how good are they if a board are a bit... Not, not not as in restrictive, but it doesn't give them everything that they need? It's an interesting question, um, and it's one that probably not best place to answer because they were given more or less everything that they asked for at Lincoln to a certain point. Um, but what they asked for was in reason. So they won't ask for something completely outlandish. But for instance, when when the book Tyler Walker is a classic example, when Mansfield first signed him, uh, we had him in the bag for, I believe it was around two grand a week. And don't quote me on that, but he, Mansfield came in, doubled his wages. Now, and bear in mind, he was on loan, but it was topping the wages up and all that sort of thing. Danny and Nicky then didn't go back to the board and say, right, we've got to meet this. They went for another target. So you didn't get them spitting their dummy out over uh, ridiculous budgets. But, um, you know, they wanted the training ground built. They got it. They wanted um, the pitch relaying, I believe, at one point they got it. But don't forget that they left the club because, or it's reported, let's say, that they left the club because... They had a brief conversation with Clive. They wanted guarantees for the budget for the following season that the chairman couldn't give them. They didn't spit their dummy out. Um, they were approached by Huddersfield. And again, the the official rhetoric is that that was not the case, that they went and sought um, uh, Huddersfield out. They didn't. Again, one of the conversations I'd had kind of you know highlighted that that, 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 that Huddersfield came knocking. So I think with yourselves, I think the situation has changed. Danny's waited. He's had lots of opportunities. We know he could have gone to Wimbledon. We know he could have gone to um, the likes of probably Southend. He, you know, he could have taken that step. He's waited for the right club, a big club where there's value to be added, where he can add add to his own or, the, or their own kind of reputation as well. So I think they're going to be a little bit more pliable when it comes to the board. I don't think they'll be de- de- demanding a development squad. They shied away from that at Lincoln because they didn't want to put a step between the youth club and first the youth team and first team football. Um, maybe longer term, that's something that you know if you're a championship side, I think you have to have one. So it, it'll be interesting to see how how they go. But I think they'll be a little bit more flexible um, because you know it's it's a crucial stage in their career as well. Amazing, um, Gary. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Could you let people know where they can find you so they can go and keep up with everything Lincoln and just League One generally? Yeah, of course, now we don't have to play you anymore uh, this season. I won't get any abuse. And you guys are far nicer than Sunderland and Gillingham fans, um, which uh, I'm taking too much abuse from them. So I'm at, at Stacey West blog, um, which is the website. And from there, the podcast and all the other 
stuff that I do can be found, or we do rather. Yeah, go check it out, Pompey fans. It's a really good listen and read as well. So, uh, yeah, mate, thanks for the podcast. I'm I'm definitely going to be in touch with you to ask you random questions over the next few months. I'm sure. So you're going to get bored of hearing me uh, hit your inbox. But mate, thanks again for coming on the show. It's appreciated. No worries, pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Gary, for coming on the podcast. And lads, that was a really interesting chat. So much so, I'm going to say this now. Two words. I'm sold. Yeah, he definitely sold. He definitely sold him to us, didn't he? Um, <coughs> it's a complete, not an entire 180 from my opinions from the last part, but it's definitely close, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, massively. And I think the thing for me is that we were kept saying, "Get someone in, right? Yeah, galvanize the fans." That's step one. That's the first thing after this drab sort of toxic nature that's been around the club of years of Kenny Jacket. We need someone to come in and and galvanise the fan base. But it's not all about what we think, is it? It's about what you think. So we put our question today with Danny Cowley set to be appointed to the job of Portsmouth manager with Nicky Cowley. Sorry, I should mention as well. They come as a duo. I'm only saying Danny. Danny and Nicky coming together. What do you think about him being appointed or what do you think about the brothers being appointed and can he turn it around was the question. You guys have messaged in again in your floods. We're going to try and get to as many as possible now. Me, Freddie and Sam are going to do it as a a try and be a little bit quick fire because I've looked on the uh, amount of comments and there's quite a few. So let's go for it. The first one, Jack Chapman messages in. Cheers, Jack. He says, would rather have had that um, Daniel Stendhal. However, I'm looking forward to a new era at Fratton Park. Let's see what the Cowleys can do. I am looking forward to seeing what they can do as well. Yeah, that's a, that was a big thing, wasn't it? People wanting Stendhal. And um, oh. even more so. Um, I, I looked up again about D- Daniel Stendhal and why he left Barnsley because I thought people would be interested in that. It was reported in the <clears throat> Edinburgh Evening News by Joel, Joel Sked. And essentially the, the reason why is because the, the team themselves claimed that Stendhal um, was in touch with another championship club. But then Stendhal on his own Facebook post was basically unhappy that a lot of the senior players that got promoted, got him and that Barnsley side promoted out of the one left and they couldn't get replacements. So I think Ethan Pinnock, Davies and Gull. And that was the spine of the team. And he wasn't happy that they were replaced by younger players who Stendhal looked at and went, they just only just bought them in to uh, flip them in a few years for a few million quid. So he wasn't happy. Think of that what you will. But I think that relates to the red flags issue that was recently reported in the news of Stendhal. Yeah, the clubs did their due diligence and some red flags were raised. I don't know if they spoke to Barnsley or, you know, asked around. That's the kind of thing you'd do if you're recruiting for a new job. You'd ask the old employers like a reference and maybe the ownership didn't fancy having um, a manager who maybe disagreed with the club at some point, right or wrong. You know, that could be a case of unifying the club and they weren't quite sure about that. Uh, and they've opted to to go with go with the Cowleys. So Bro's message is in. He says, great appointment for a three-month deal. Obviously more to the contract than we know already, such as a possible extension, in brackets, two years. Do you know something we don't, mate? At PO Forecast. Happy with the decision. Let's hope we fish around for better managers in the summer if things don't go their way. I don't want to be fishing around for new players and new managers in the summer. That's the worst outcome to me. Yeah. We need some continuity, don't we, Freddie? Yeah, absolutely. And that fits with the, inter- the entire ambitions of what this board does. They're always talking about long-term growth, long-term self-sustainability, and that's something that Catlin has mentioned throughout the week. 
I still think it's a bit strange that he was offered the short-term deal. I thought, surely you would want to get someone in now and give them the faith of the summer. But um, all, all we've got to hope for is that the Cowleys impress in these 12 games. For me, there's no expectation, but that's not the same as everybody else. So we'll hope that they do well to uh, get get themselves an extension. And, and, we, and like Gary said, the Cowleys perform better with a summer behind them. And that's where we'll probably see the best out of them. Yeah, you've got to give them some time. So let's just hope they come in. Let's be honest, it's going to be an improvement. Famous last words and what happened with Jackie. And, you know, <laughs> one win in nine. With the players we've got, with the squad we've got, just seeing this fresh face walk in. No offence, Joe Gallen, you're not a fresh face. So let's just, let's see the Cowleys walk in. I want to see the fans get excited about things again. I, I'm excited again. You can hear it because I'm babbling too much shit and not going to the next comment, which is what I'm supposed to be doing at the moment. Uh, Jimmy Milner messages in. He says, yes, very happy with the Cowleys. I went to lots of Lincoln games during their reign and spirit amongst fans and players was so high. That's news to my ears, mate. Pompey, a much bigger club than they've managed before, though. A possible worry? Uh, Sam, are they a bigger club than Huddersfield? Is that something that worries you generally? Um, not particularly. I think they them taking the step up to the championship, it shows that they've got that ambition to go and manage at a bigger club. Obviously, we heard earlier Gary saying that their their kind of main goal in their career would be to manage West Ham. So I do think they've got ambitions to to work at work at a big club. I think they've got the potential to work at a big club. And to be, you have to remember, Lincoln have got a big fan base as well. They've got a, a lot of expectation there as well, considering where they were. They've they've gone to Lincoln in the in the National League. They've turned them round. There was a lot of expectation to get them out of that league, and and they they've delivered on that. And then they've pushed them on further. So I, I don't see any reason why. Pompey being a relatively big club, probably a probably a slightly bigger club than Huddersfield. Nonetheless, two big fan bases, and yeah, they, they, they I honestly think they'll be embracing the opportunity to come down to Portsmouth. And and as been previously mentioned, if they can get the fans on side, that'll be a massive, massive thing because the fans have just become so disillusioned and disconnected with the club, and that will be the main thing for me, especially in the short term, to get the club going in the right direction. Again, I, I have got the, the slight issues over the contract that you've kind of mentioned, whether they 13 games isn't a lot of time in football and for them to try and get the club steered in the right direction in the way that they want it to go. You know, it's a bigger risk for them, in my opinion, taking this job than it is for Portsmouth. It seems a bit of a win-win for Pompey. Whether it is that for them, we'll have to see. But they they seem, seem well, Gary's almost convinced me, they seem like a really good fit, seem like a kind of, a duo that could really get Portsmouth. And that, I think that's what we've been lacking over the last few years. Yeah. And Gary's the best person to ask in this situation, you know, met him, knows him in that sense, as well as covering him from a football writing point of view. So for us, he's the perfect person to talk to on the top, on the topic, really have messages in. She says, after seeing the various clips shared online today, I'm really excited about the prospect of them managing us. They seem to really understand their opposition and it's good that they already have a good relationship with Raggett. He can hopefully share some positive stories with them. Well, Sean, hit us up at PO Forecast. We want to hear him with the rest of the team. I think this is the whole who will our manager be situation has actually lifted the fans and given us a break from other news. Fred, do you reckon that's fair enough? That, you know, I feel lifted. Just finding out Jackie was gone, I suppose, and that something new was coming. Do you think this is the thing to unite the fan base? Uh, sounds harsh, but yes. Um, <laughs> obviously, some people coming out later saying, Oh, we don't want to. We don't want to glorify someone losing their job. 
I'm sorry. I feel, I feel much better about uh, thinking forward about Port, about Portsmouth Football Club after that managerial change. I do. Um, the last eight or nine games have been horrendous. We all know that, and it was the final nail in the coffin. So I don't see, so all this excitement and thinking about what will happen in the future, a new project, a new challenge. I think that's great for Portsmouth, and it can only get the fans interested. And think about it next season. Let's say fans come back in. Let's say, let's say they didn't make this change. Could you imagine? I could imagine a lot of fans turning away if if this change didn't happen. Yeah, so can I. You know, we talked about people not sure they want to renew their season ticket as well. If Jacket was there, you know, I've heard this from a lot from different season ticket holders as well as this. You know, I'm not coming back if Jacket's there. Whether or not they would have done that, I don't know. But let's see these guys come in and convince the fans this is a project for next year no matter what league we're in, which is going to be exciting um, and they can feel part of, they can feel connected. You know, we don't need to give him freedom of the city yet, like he's done in Lincoln, but that does show that hopefully we can rebuild some of those ties between the club and the fan base. Ed Little messages in. He says, is there anyone out there who knows how to win? It's Danny and his brother. They're born winners. One thing is for certain, they'll get the players working very, very hard. From what we've heard, you'd have to say that's kind of what we have to expect in this in these opening couple of games where he takes charge. Ultimately, Pompey in the last nine games, the players haven't been working hard enough. They haven't been fighting for the bads. They haven't been looking like they want to be playing for the club. And if he's going to come in, and I, I rec- I'd make a guess the, the immediate thing is he's going to change that. I don't really predict there being an overhaul in the style of play immediately in this first couple of games. I just think he's going to be wanting to get the players back on side, the players starting to make those runs that they maybe wouldn't make under Kenny Jacket, make, you know, give them confidence. This squad's got something about it. So it's just whether they can, some of it has to go on the players as well. You know, the players haven't been good enough for the last 10, 9, 10 games, whether he'll come in and try and rejuvenate them. And I, I honestly think there will be, you get the new manager bounce within certain jobs. And I do think that that could happen just because I, I believe that Pompey squad does have top six capabilities. Definitely. And we, we were top of the league at, at Christmas. So that there's, there's serious quality in this squad. It's just been drained out of them in the last two, two months. And it, I think he's a smart enough bloke by the sounds of it, that if he gets the team, you know, playing for the bad, playing for him, the quality in that side will, will get some results eventually. John messages in, he says, they're just school teachers. Put them at a big club like Huddersfield, professional players, and not kids like Lincoln. They can't do it. Cheer up, John, mate. Your, your, your picture says jack it out. You've had enough. Get a new <laughs> manager in. Suddenly you're calling them a bunch of school teachers, mate. Sorry, mate. Don't agree with that. James messages in. I'm personally excited at what could be a necessarily revitalization slash reconstruction of what has been an awful footballing project with no long-term vision. Biggest concern is the contract length. And why the club is so reluctant to commit long term? To be honest, James, I think you're you're pretty much on the same page as us here. He definitely is. Um, I think the main reason why the short term contract was there was no plan for Kenny Jacket to be sacked at this moment a week ago. There was no plan, so they wanted to keep because they back, uh, Mark Catlin and the and the board backed Jacket to manage his side and get them promotion. So I think they're just doing it to keep their options open. And it's some argue it's overly cautious, and some think, oh, it's a good idea because you never know who will be out of a job in the summer. I genuinely think they just did it to keep uh, uh, their options as wide as possible. 
and they were doing, and, they, and Mark was talking about all the candidates that applied and all the candidates he talked to. So it wasn't just Stendhal and um, the Cowleys in the running. So I think that's why there was a short-term contract, just to keep everything open. But, but uh, at this rate, I hope that the Cowleys do very well. I hope that Portsmouth do themselves proud between now and the end of the season. And if they do that, I'm sure a contract extension will come right their way. The Portsmouth messages in. <laughs> I think it has to be a realistic approach. Of course we want to go up, but it's a big ask to turn this around and overcome. All I ask for the players is to give 100%, be played in the right position, and be for the manager to have a plan B. Promotion, of course, would be the icing on the cake. Well, yeah, I, I kind of slightly disagree with that text because, you know, the Pom- I had a look yesterday, Pompey's running is actually very favourable. After Ipswich on, um, after Ipswich on Saturday, we played all of the top 10 home and away, the current top 10. So, looking forward at the fixtures, he has actually got quite a favourable run of fixtures to get something out this side. Um, and there is quite a distinction between the top and the bottom half of this league. There's a, Especially those teams near the bottom end of the league, that there is quite a big difference. So there's going to be opportunities to take advantage of some very poor teams and, and try and get some momentum going. Um, yeah, so I, I can't, I don't really see any way why they shouldn't be looking at this in a positive way to get the, to looking up towards the playoffs. So only three points off the playoffs. It's not like we're, we're, we're six, seven points adrift. We've got a few, we've got a games in hand on a couple of teams. Again, teams will drop points. This teams at the top of the end, top end of the league are dropping points quite regularly. So for me, I haven't really worried about the league table um, at the moment. I know, I know we're down in 10th at the, at the moment, but I don't really see it as a, as a problem. I essentially will look at it towards the end of the season. Performances have obviously merited our position because we haven't been good enough. But if he gets the team playing and gets confidence back in these players, there's there's no reason why they can't push up towards the playoffs because they are good. They are there is some quality in this side. And I, I firmly believe that given the right tools and the right manager, they could could get in a, a position that they deserve essentially. Abby messages is in. We need to get behind them. Whether we're happy or not is irrelevant. If they're going to be ours, we need to be positive. Move on and back them because they've got a tough job on their hands. Time to stop the moan fest. And remember, once a blue, always a blue. Abby, I think people are on board with you generally. Appreciate if the messaging in. Ian Wigfield messages in. What the fuck are this club up to? Just commit yourselves and give them a decent contract. Kenneth has already done the damage to the club and shouldn't expect the Cowleys to get us out of this shit. I mean, I like the passion there, Ian. Um, I agree to a certain level. I don't think it's fair to say to them, come in, we'll judge you over these 13 games if it's not been a 7 out of 12 sort of performance or whatever you want to say, 7 out of 13. Is it 13 or 12 games? Who knows? If they don't come in and win seven of those, you know, they're out. Or if we miss out of the playoffs on a point, they're out. That's not really what it is. I just want to see a big cultural change. I want to see the players playing for it, fighting, coming back. For, uh, if we are, do go behind to get the points, get three points. If we can see those big changes, I think that'll be um, that'll be enough progression for me. Alex messages in. It's not a sexy appointment, but it's one I'm happy with all the same. Trying to do something with this squad is a hell of a challenge, though, regardless of who comes in. I'm also be interested in to know what was the worst manager suggestions you guys saw and read. Some of those mutants in the Facebook group had some belters. Um, yeah, he's got the nail on the head. The hard job will be to get the morale back, I think. Because we, everybody can look at the squad on paper and go, oh, there's quality in every 
area of the pitch. It's just about getting the best out of them and reinvigorating that confidence. In terms of the, um, what, what one thing I will say before saying my all the bad manager suggestions we've seen, I don't want to be negative about Portsmouth anymore. I, I do podcasts like this, and we all do. And we all write about Portsmouth because we love it and we and we want to support this team properly again. And I haven't had that connection and passion for Portsmouth for for a month or so because of how badly it's gone. So any managerial appointment now is very well warranted. And the worst managerial suggestion I had was someone wanted Joachim Lowe, the manager of Germany, <laughs> after the after the Euros, because it, it was a, a reported that um, that he was leaving Germany after the Euros. And that was the most outlandish, <laughs> the most outlandish suggestion that I've seen. Not good enough for me, I'll be honest. He doesn't play the right football. Sam, who's, your, who's the worst <laughs> one you heard? For me, it was the one you you guys said on Sunday, and it's not outlandish, but someone actually said Derek Adams, and I, I couldn't believe that that someone would oh, actually say Derek woof. Adams. That's not <laughs> my answer, mate. That literally was my yeah. answer as well. Yeah, our friend. Yeah, Derek. no, I, I, I honestly couldn't believe that someone would actually suggest Derek Adams as being even a candidate. It just it mind boggled. Yeah, woof. Dan Armand messages in. He says we'll soon get tired of them. We always do. They always arrive with high hopes. They divide opinion and depart in good time, the same way as all the others. We'll be having similar discussions about future managers not long from now. Dan, I hope you're wrong, mate, because we just need to be a little bit more positive. We need to be a little bit more yeah, He's taken my mantle for the most pessimistic fan. <laughs> Freddie, that's, that's difficult as well, but you, you seem to be cheering up. You've got a smile behind that beard today. <laughs> I definitely have. I definitely have. I think it was that... It, it was the chat with Gary that sold it a bit more because it's different to hear positive things about a manager from somebody else rather than looking at all the coaches' voices tapes that I had and all the little YouTube videos that only really give you a little idea. And I think that interview will would have persuaded a lot of people, I think. Yeah, Dan, hit us up. Let us know if the interview with Gary's changed your mind at PO Forecast. Alex Volks messages him. He says, after watching vids and reading about them today, I think there could be a God fit. Well, I don't know if you meant good there, Alex, but godly, we'll take that. Some divine intervention maybe is what's needed from the <laughs> divine Cowley brothers to come in, work some magic and turn this season around. Kevin Bett messages in. He says, you're getting two very good coaches. But more than that, they're great persons and with good values. They'll take you up to the next level if you back them. Well, Kevin, I think you're a Lincoln fan. I can't be able to slick up your profile. The show carries on. Ian Gray messages him. They will be steady. They will steady the sinking ship. I don't believe we'll make the playoffs. Kenny Jackett sacking five games too late. That's a fair point. The Cowleys given not 12 games will turn this team of lazy sods into a team of winners. Half of a dozen additions, remove the dead wood in the summer and they'll bring success. Do you think it's fair, either you guys jump in, that what Ian said about Kenny going five games too late? Yeah, I I kind of agree with him. I, you, we could all see this coming in a, in a way. I, I honestly thought he should have gone after the Northampton game. And the fact that he was in, still in a job was a, it was, it was, it just kind of disrespected the fans a little bit because you can't have a Portsmouth team going and put a first half performance like that. It's the worst first half I've ever seen Portsmouth play, and that's even when we were in League Two. Um, he should have been sacked after that game immediately because it was a disgrace. Um, but it does feel that we've 
potentially left it a little bit too late because, you know, the Sunderland game came and gone. We all knew what was going to happen. We all knew that was going to result in that that uh, that result. And then you've got the Peterborough game as well, where it was very similar. I just feel like we could see this was coming. You saw the drop in form. It's been, it's not like it's, it's a one-off. It's happened the last three years, this kind of drop in form. And ultimately he's failed on what the goal was. So, you do feel a little bit that maybe they may have left it a bit late for the new manager to come in. You know, having 17 games as opposed to 12 games to turn it around is a lot, it's quite a significant amount, you know, because obviously Danny Cowling coming into Huddersfield, they were, they were down in the relegation zone. I think he lost his first two games, but then he turned it around. They won five out of their last 11 or something like that. So it did take a few games for them to get going, but eventually he did. But in the, in this league, in a, in a, it was fine margins, isn't it? You know, from promotion, the playoffs, the automatics, those two games for you to get in and change it all up and get the team going could really be the difference. So but we'll have to wait and see. I wouldn't be surprised if those couple of games are the difference in us missing out. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. One thing I will pick up on as well, Sam, is the fact that Ian did mention turn this team of lazy sods into a team of winners. I'm going to turn that around and say turn this team of rattled, confident, shook-up professional footballers into a team of winners. Because I do think that there's a perception that the players are lazy. I don't think it's laziness. These are professional footballers who want to get promoted to the championship. It's just they've been rattled. They don't know what formation they're playing. They don't know what they should be doing on the pitch. What's I, the think, I think one word we're missing is exhausted, mentally well, and physically. Yeah, I think, I think, I think mentally is a big one. Yeah, I think mentally exhausted is fair. I think they are physically a bit tired as well. But then again, so are a lot a lot of teams as well. I think we just need to literally pick them up. He needs to shake them, give them some confidence, tell them how to play, and let's hope after a few games they can pick it up. From from an outsider looking in, it just looks like the team completely lost belief in what they've been told to do um, from the management. And I wouldn't and I. not working hard I just think they've completely been sapped from what they want to be, they've been told to do they don't believe in the tactics they know it's not going to work but they're still being told to do it it's almost like you're being told to do a job you don't like doing um, and you're never going to do it with any sort of enthusiasm or really put your mind to it um, so that, that that's what I got from the last three games in Northampton the Sunderland and the Peterborough game it just looks like the players are, are just they just weren't buying into what they were being told to do. And I, I do think a fresh face, fresh ideas really could help them. Cods Johnson messages in. He says, think the club needs a young and hungry management team full of energy. It might spark the flat body of the PFC back into life. Well, we just touched on that Cods, mate, and I think that could happen. Ash messages in. He says, I'm really happy. I like their philosophy. Thumbs up. Yay! Yeah, I'm all about that, Ash. I think that's cool. Um, Jamie Parkinson messages in. They weren't my first choice, but if they make the playoffs and go up, I'll happily accept them. Well, maybe after hearing the interview of Gary, you'll more than happily accept them. You'll willingly take them on and go for it from there, Jamie. Alex Broom messages in, friend of the show. He says, I think that's an excellent appointment. Well, Alex... To be fair, uh, you cover covers the Wickham covers Wickham. He's been on the podcast before as well. Knows his stuff, so I'll take that as a as a positive and someone who knows their stuff as well. Kev Manning messages in. I think they are sound choices. My concern is that they're a success. They could be tapped up by a bigger club in the summer when they would be out of contract. This club seems to have issues with contracts. Do you think it's just a nervousness, Freddie, that means that 
they haven't offered the contract because it's in an unexpected situation the club didn't think they'd be in and therefore they want to commit long term. They're just not quite sure. It just feels like it's been forced on them. Even though it was obvious to see from all Portsmouth fans Jacket needed to go, I don't think they realised it until how real shocking we play consistently. Yeah, I think that's the main reason. And it's the reason why they didn't narrow down their their um, their choices immediately. They interviewed a lot of people. That I think they were generally shaken at how badly this side played. And we all, we, were, we were saying for episodes and episodes on here that we assumed that Jackie would get the rest of the season, and they did as well. It was the fact that that Papa John's trophy game was so awful on, the, <laughs> on a high-profile stage on Sky Sports that everybody saw it. It left them with no choice. And I think financially, they don't know where they are because they don't know what league they're going to be in. So they don't know what players are going to be there. We've still got 11 players out of contract. So there's a lot of uncertainty, I think. And I think that uncertainty has made them cautious about committing to anybody. Do you think they've also maybe, to do with the management, they're going to get more money if you're a championship manager? I wonder if there's a little bit there for them and an incentive both ways. So we've been talking about how it's a win-win for Pompey. But maybe you're going to get a better contract if you take the team up and you sign a two, three-year deal then. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> there's nothing for them to lose, in my opinion. Gary was mentioning some of the other jobs that they were linked with. But aside from the Ipswich, the Sunderlands and the Charltons, they were linked with lower-end League One, high-end League Two teams like uh, like Bolton and AFC Wimbledon. They will get those opportunities again regardless of what will happen at Portsmouth. So really, there's no... It's no difference for them, I don't think. And even then, they'll get enough money from all their media appearances on Quest anyway. Tom messages in. He says, I'm a town fan and have not forgiven the board for unfairly sacking them after having a sunken ship and think that after that, they will not rush into another big club uh, or decent-sized club. So fair enough, Tom. I think that it's nice to hear from a Huddersfield fan and say that he felt they were treated unfairly after keeping the team up. Yeah, I saw another thing about Huddersfield. Huddersfield haven't been performing well this season as well. And, and it's with a new manager, a new philosophy. So I generally just think Huddersfield are in the little in the mud a little bit in, in terms of where they're going. Looks like he did a good job in keeping them out um, when you see how they've done this season. Yeah, take that Muddlesfield. Um, Martin Daniels messages in. He says, <laughs> I'm confident they can galvanise a much-needed reaction. They need seven wins in 12 games to reach the playoffs. I haven't done the maths, but I'll take you over it, Martin. With only one game against the current top half of the table. Sam, you're talking about the fact that we didn't have too many hard fixtures coming up. Apart from Ipswich at the weekend, which we're going to come on to in a minute. However, they're not playing great either, to be honest. They're very up and down. It's just that Pompey are sinking past them under jacket. Do you think we can actually put a decent run together and get this team into the playoffs? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. But if you'd asked me this on just before Kenny Jacket had been sacked, I would say never in a million years would this team ever get in the playoffs. Um, but yet yeah, now that this this team's been the the manager's gone, I, I can really see this team make put going on a run with the teams they've got to play, the quality in the team. I, I've I've always thought and I've always say that the, the likes of Harness, the likes of Curtis. They get in most League One teams. Michael Jacobs, Williams. I believe they get in most League One teams. You know, I, I do think we've got some quality in this side, um, the likes of Naylor as well. They, they, they haven't suddenly got bad players. They haven't suddenly become, you know, your Swindons, you know, the teams like that. There is, they're, they're just shot of confidence. They're shot of any belief. And if a new, I, I firmly believe that a new manager coming in 
maybe not immediately, but certainly within a couple of games, will galvanise them and will get them playing. And we've seen it before. A team goes on a run playing against certain like lower lower end teams. You can end up winning eight, nine games in a row. Look at us in League Two when uh, towards the end of the season, the title winning season. What did we win? In? It was like, did we win nine, ten games in a row or something like that? It was some ridiculous record. We ended up winning a lot of games. And you can just, if you get on a run, players start believing anything can really happen. And I, I do firmly believe we'll finish in the playoffs. Um, I'm just sticking my neck out there. I, I do think we will. Love that. Freddie, have you got anything to say before we move on to the Ipswich preview? Well, <clears throat> well, one thing I will say, similar to Sam's point, under the calories now, there could be a potential for Portsmouth to get into the playoffs if everything falls right. Beforehand, I sort of, my expectations were nil, especially when, if we're, with all the cane jacket stuff. So for me, any anything out of this season now is a bonus. I think even if they even if they don't get into the playoffs, I, d- I generally don't think it's the end of the world. We'll just have to re- rebuild the entire squad in the summer, as long as they get the managerial appointment right. It all hinges on the managerial appointment, short and long term for me. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on now, and we're going to look at the Ipswich game, which is coming up on Saturday. I sat down with Benjamin Bloom from the Blue Monday podcast, friend of the show. He's been on the pod before. He's absolutely great. Um, he hosts the Ipswich Town podcast. We have a lot of banter on it. But I recorded this before we did these other segments. Here's the interview with me and Benjamin Bloom from the Blue Monday podcast. And just before we get into the interview with Benjamin, um, thanks to everyone who signed up to the Fan Hub app. I know there's about eight hundred, a thousand odd people waiting to get in. If you do want access, hit me up, DM me at PuckDropUK at PO Forecast, and I'll try and get you a code. Um, you can go on there, predict the teams, read all our content, and read all the content from every other team around the Football League we're playing against pretty easily in one app, and there's going to be more to come from that. So hit me up for a golden ticket, and I'll give you access, basically. So yeah, cool. All right, I'm here with Benjamin Bloom from the Blue Monday Podcast, and Benjamin, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, Things are looking a little bit different now, aren't they, Hugh? And should we break the fourth wall? Um, it's 11am and you're about to appoint Danny Cowley, yes? Yeah, we are indeed. Yeah, so it's been confirmed now by Neil Allen, who's the sports reporter for the newspaper, as well as Andrew Moon, who's talking about it as well from the BBC Sport. Yeah, it's all it's all lined up now. It's all done. Um, I'll be honest, my initial choice would have been Daniel Stendhal to come in. Interesting. I thought, I thought we really needed a, a different philosophy, a passing philosophy. We've got the players to play a high press. And I really thought that someone like Stendhal coming in after watching him at Barnsley, that would have been a great fit for the team. However, I'm keeping a big open mind, really, when it comes to the Cowleys. Because at first I thought complete long ball merchants. That was my my analog- analysis or analogy for them. But I'm watching some more video stuff they've done tactical look at stuff and maybe that's not the case what are your thoughts on it mate well remember you're talking to an Ipswich fan and the Cowleys came onto the national scene didn't they at Lincoln with an FA Cup upset win on live TV against Ipswich so look I think when they were in the lower divisions Look, there was money at Lincoln. We 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 know that. They did have that advantage. But there was always this kind of sense of vibrancy and energy about them. I think there's a fair bit of innovation in their 
um, approach, and they really do um, get clubs going. I accept that at Huddersfield, there was a bit of a sense that this club had been just losing and losing. Well, basically, um, for I think it's like over a hundred games or something. When you took, you know, I don't, maybe I'm pulling that number out of the air, but you know what I'm saying. It had been hard work in the Premier League, and then they'd come down, and then there was the ownership change. And I think they basically just had to do what they needed to keep them in the division. And yes, there were games where it was not pinged around the pitch in the most flowing manner possible. But surely um, with Pompey's sort of status in League One and like you say, the squad, um, we, we may see something different to that. Although, as with Paul Cook at Ipswich, there's not a lot of time to do anything particularly much in terms of um, actually changing stuff. Sorry, I've just dropped that bombshell elephant in the room. Paul Cook in there. Maybe we can move on to that. Yeah, no, we'll definitely move on to that. I think the last thing I'm going to say, because we're going to talk about this more on the podcast as we fill it out, I suppose, with Danny Cowley analogy and, sorry, analysis. But I'm interested to see, they said that they'll change the way they play depending on the players they've got and what they can do. So if they do that... Great. But I think the first thing Pompey fans need is just a mending with the fans. You know, I don't think the fans are that worried necessarily now about making the playoffs. It'd be great if we do. We're not great in the playoffs. I think we've one of the teams that, let's be honest, make Ipswich look good in, in playoff history. <laughs> nobody, nobody makes Ipswich look good. Apart, apart from maybe um, Reading always losing the final, don't they? Um, no, Pompey, mate. Never won a playoff game in our history. Really? Not wow. even one. Not Brent, Brentford are really bad as well, aren't they? There's a, yeah. there's a few teams that are hopes. Do you know the Kings are like Hull and Burnley? I don't think Burnley have even conceded a goal and won all of their championship playoff games. So, God, imagine that. Pompey, Ipswich and Sunderland, the teams who always stink out the playoffs in the playoffs, maybe. That's it. Resident chokers. Hopefully, <laughs> if, that, if that happens, I'd like you to play Sunderland, please. Oh, we're, we're the worst. We'll both lose. <laughs> yeah, no, Lee Johnson's doing a good job at Sunderland, so I don't fancy right, yeah. them in the playoffs. But I think for us, it's more about the personality for this season, coming in, changing the culture of the club, getting the fans back on side, uniting everyone behind it, give them the summer, make some changes, and then we go again. You sound exactly like an Ipswich fan at the moment. <laughs> Both playing blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So how is Cookie getting on with you? I've, I've been uh, keeping a, a good eye actually on Ipswich just because I've got a, an interest to see how Paul, Paul Cook gets on. We know that Paul Cook tries to play very dynamic football, play it the Paul Cook way and all that kind of malarkey. Has he been able to do that at Ipswich? Because it's been quite tight some of the games that I've seen yeah. him play. I'll go back to my comment a couple of minutes ago. It essentially, and this parlays into Danny Cowley, obviously, as well, Paul Cook is going to have one entire week with his team in between games, between now and the final two games of the season. So you were 100% right when you said, come in, try and change the mood and the... Because that that is a that is a big thing. I'm sure we've all worked jobs in our lives where um, you know it's the same people from day to day. But depending on the mood, it can either be very fun and very productive, or you know, damn right horrible. So um, look, Lam- Lambert, um, you know, from our last time talking, you'll you'll know it it, it deteriorated to such an extent, and the the poor guy just looked completely beaten by the whole thing. And 
all of a sudden inbounds Paul Cook, who you'll know all about, and he can't stand still in an interview, and he's so enthusiastic and he speaks so well. So look, obviously we're in that honeymoon period of uh, I'm sitting there gooey-eyed watching everything he says, thinking he's the best thing since sliced bread. Obviously he gets a little bit of a pass because we think it's pretty reasonable to say the team was not coached very well previously. So when we do have defeats, um, there's always going to be that immediate answer of, oh, well, he's inherited, you know, a squad that wasn't coached very well. Um, So, yeah, we've had, um, I mean, there's only been like three or four games, hasn't there? He was barely in charge at Accrington um, and they won, but we got lucky there because Accrington had a red card that was rescinded after the game. So it was a red card that uh, literally the, the EFL are saying wasn't a red card. So we got lucky there. Fine. Whatever. You know, we got unlucky plenty of times. Um, Gillingham outplayed us and and beat us. Um, Lincoln, um, there was a midweek draw and then we beat Plymouth and then we were dreadful last night against Fleetwood. Dreadful, Hugh. Bloody dreadful. Um, I was doing championship stuff, but a lot of trusted people you, you often get a difference in opinion, but the entire mood is that that was an appalling performance last night. So we're now back on. The players are terrible. We flip from the manager's terrible to the owner's terrible to the players are terrible. So today, the players are terrible. But no, he's he's a breath of fresh air, as you guys know. You know better about Paul Cook than I do, obviously. Um, and we just hope that in the week in between Pompey and Wigan, then his next is another former Paul Cook um, team that he's going to be able to do something um, in the same way you are about Cowley. Yeah, it's a strange one. I remember I had looked back on the Plymouth game actually that that you guys played, and I had a little listen to your podcast before that because I was talking on the third tier uh, channel, and I, I chose to look at your game. So I had a little bit of a deep dive, and I checked out your uh, podcast on the Blue Monday podcast. Can have a listen to everyone if they're interest from an Ipswich perspective and you started of the first 20 minutes in a really high energy what I I think about a Paul Cook way is that sort of the pressing the making the runs and uh is it is it Judd the kid that got the the first goal is it Judd I'm trying to remember the top of my head now um it's Troy Parrott got Troy Parrott yeah the 19 year old he gets his first goal a professional goal but what he did which I've been screaming out for Pompey players to do he takes a chance Mm. And Cook's all about, he takes a chance and makes a run across the box and their fullback sort of plays it, tries to play it back to the keeper, overplays it, as Plymouth do a lot at the back, and uh, you get a goal. <laughs> so if Paul Cook can get his team playing like that for 60 minutes, say, 90 minutes is always a bit of a stretch for any manager. Then Except, think, the, except the Barnsley manager at the moment, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. And I'm, it doesn't help me that at work, a lot of my friends are Barnsley fans. So I'm, uh, <laughs> here, I'm hearing all about yeah. that. The best pressing team in Europe there. In say. the world, the universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's teams in South America that are now sending scouts over to Barnsley <laughs> to, to work out how they're employing this high press. But they're, they're very good, to be fair. We sound like we're mocking it, but they are, they, they are the go-to word for, for pressing now. Sorry, Hugh. Nah, I'm only joking around. Rich, shout out, mate, to the Barnsley press. But <laughs> yeah, no, I think if Cook can implement that, and he will do over time, you'll see his team playing a, mo- a lot more like the first 20 minutes of Plymouth than the flop against... Plymouth. How long's that going to take, though, Hugh? Two years, mate. Really? No, nah, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <on you. laughs> 
I mean, there's good players in there, but you can't expect, I mean, even with, with Paul Cook's reputation with Chesterfield and Pompey and Wigan and not, you, you can't, and I suppose this parlays into the weekend's game, you can't expect him to just snap his fingers and, um, you know, I know, and, and this will happen with Pompey, won't it? I know when a new manager takes over, I'm I'm constantly arguing against the existence of the new manager bounce that new managers only get hired when teams are playing badly. And when they come in, I think it's more a regression to the mean rather than, a, a you know, the influence of the new manager, you know, new broom. And all of a sudden they start performing how they should be, because frankly, if they were already performing how they should be, why was the manager gone in the first place? But um, yes, there's going to be lots of new manager bounce talk, I'm sure, amongst Ipswich fans before before the weekend too. Yeah, I think that give Cook the summer because he actually has a very good idea of who he wants to bring in to play his style of football. And he does need to have certain players really in place to do that. Interesting, you pick up Gary Roberts to be one of the assistant coaches. I think that's a, a really good move. He's so loved in the dressing room by all the players who've played with him across the different teams. Ex-town player as well, Hugh. Yeah, brings a lot of experience, doesn't he, to that team. And he knows how Paul Cook wants to play because for us, he was deployed in that number 10 role in behind in behind the striker, which is an interesting thing. I don't know what you found with how who he's played at 10, but sometimes he plays a bit more of a robust sort of centre-attacking midfielder. Yeah. And sometimes he plays a little bit more of a tricky player in there. So how has he done that for Ipswich? Who's he put in that role? Well, yeah, I mean, you make a really good point. We've seen Nick Powell and Kieran Dow, Powell and Dow, doing it for Wigan, and you're totally right. They're 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 kind of goal scorers, but they have got that physicality, haven't they? So um, it's it's a bit of a weird one, Hugh, because we think possibly the last few games of Lambert's era, Lambert was in the dugout, but Matt Gill was doing the business this is tinfoil hat on stuff now but Troy Parrott was a number 10 behind um, James Norwood obviously Caden Jackson's played the last couple of games but I don't think um, he covered himself in glory last night particularly as it pertains to you know you can play well or you can play badly but if you play badly and you're playing badly then informs the rest of the team because the strategy won't work. Do you know what I mean at that, in terms of having that fulcrum, then it's bad news. But, um, uh, God, I've got to stay clear of saying the wrong thing here. So Mr Norwood was up for a drink driving charge. Don't worry, this has all been reported. um, And the dates have now been moved back. So we suspect he'll be available um, for the weekend. But I, I think you'll see Troy Parrott at 10 and James Norwood at, at nine. And then, yeah, but it's interesting you talk about Gary Roberts because, you know, he's a sort of a, a winger converted converted across, but does seem to be a sort of vital position for Cook, doesn't it? Yeah, indeed. And the ball's got to go through Gary Roberts or whoever in that sense at 10. And you'll you'll see that the two players who sit behind will be, their job is obviously to protect the back for when when the whip fullbacks get forward as well. So, you know, I'd, I think Cook will try and bring in, you know, we had Ender Stevens playing at left back for us. Oh, getting what a player. Too. So you can see the kind of player that Cook wants really at fullback. And then one of those two, I think, will end up playing in a sort of pivot, defending the, the uh, two 
uh, defending the back line, sorry, in the, in the 4-2-3-1. And then you've got another central midfielder who will be a bit more carry the ball out, box to box, arrive late and support the attack as well as come back and defend. Do you think we can get Ender Stevens then? Do you think Sheffield United will just give him to us for no money now? What? <laughs> no, he's coming back. He's coming back to Pompey to try and get <laughs> the go. island side. Our left, our left uh, side flank of Ronan Curtis is in the island side already. Oh, beautiful! Let's just get no, let's just get Ender Stevens back behind him. Maybe you know. I, I was laughing when you were talking about the central midfielders because I don't know if you saw it last night. Sammy Morsey, who was at Wigan with Cook, um, completely s housing um, Alan Brown and. He kind of laid hands on him and didn't get caught. And then Brown retaliates and gets a red card. And it just made me think of uh, what a Paul Cook central midfielder or one of the two um, might need to might need to be doing. But no, I'm, I'm glad you said that he'll be able to pick out the right guys because it just feels so in need of an overhaul now. And it's not like the owner hasn't allowed the managers to bring people in, but we've now got... The tail end of McCarthy's players, there's sort of still, you know, a, a Chambers and a Skews, etc. still there. You've got the expensive flops, frankly, from Paul Hurst with Nolan and, and Ciala and Jackson uh, with the big names. Then you've got all Paul Lambert's boys. Then you've got the lone players. What a mess of a squad. I mean, Jesus, Hugh. Yeah, it's a massive mess. And what Cook did, actually, he looked at the squad we had in League Two that came bottom half or something or I can't remember exactly off the top of my head and he went no <laughs> and he just stripped out the squad he brought in players like Christian Burgess on, on cheat from Peterborough he got Matt Clark uh, oh player from us yeah 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 and he, he basically got all these players in to play the way he wants to play which is passing centre-backs who are capable of playing the ball out but as well as being very defensively responsible and then you have the two fullbacks and the midfielders, the number 10, and a striker really that can be a little bit more dynamic and getting across the box and, and scoring a poacher, maybe someone who can score some goals. Norwood could play in his system, in my opinion. I think Norwood could do it if he Jackson. can sort his. Uh, Jackson, we're not so sure, no, with a, with a Cook system. But And then we wonder, does he have the, the discipline, someone like Jackson, to say, no, I want to work with this guy. I'll do, one of the, I'll do one of the wide positions, but I need to learn it and I need to follow the instructions. And you don't know, you don't know whether he's going to be able to do that or not. Yeah, I'm going to scare you now as well to say former Ipswich Town striker, if I'm right in saying this, Ellis Harrison. Right. Is, is out for the season, so you won't be facing him at the weekend. Oh, interesting. No, is he okay? What's what's the injury? I think he's done a, done his Lee ligaments or something like that, which is e. never a nice thing to see for a footballer. So wishing well to get. You bit. just said Lee ligaments, by the way, which is worse than me calling Paul Cook Paul Hurst. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> something to do with ligaments and going. Into oh no, you just got the two letters the wrong way round. It was a proper oh, Freudian slip. Lee ligaments. Yeah, knee not, ligaments. I'm not a morning person. In <laughs> Twenty a.m. which for me is is morning. Have another coffee, Hugh. Yeah, yeah, I should do. <laughs> um, okay, so how do you think? Do you think Cook's going to change things up from the from the loss against Fleetwood, or do you think he's going to stick to? the formation he's playing and, well, not the formation, we know he's stick with the formation, but do you think he's going to make any changes to the team apart from maybe bringing in Norwood back after his drink driving uh, ban? Um, possibly. So we're, 
we're a bit suspicious about the goalkeeper now, I have to say. Um, in t- that That's now coming up in terms of Thomas Hurley. I don't suspect he'll change the back four. That was Kenlock, Wilson, and Ciala Chambers. That has been for a while, unless he just realises that um, our attacking players need some help and he bombs out Chambers and plays Matheson, uh, who we got on loan from Wolves, who you'd have seen for Rochdale. Um just for someone who'll get forward. And, you know, if you're saying to the the midfield pivot, just sit there. So he could do that. Um, Dezel and Skews, uh, I mean, um, uh, Flynn Downs is pretty much out for the season now, which is good news for you guys because he's a, he's a good player. So it'll only be um, Ted Bishop goes in there if, if Cole Skews can't do three games in a week. Uh, Edwards got injured last night off the front. Um, I I do think it'll be Parrot and um, Parrot and Norwood. And Judge, everyone seems to still play Judge. So possibly um, possibly the right-hand side, really. Um, maybe Matheson in, but that would be taking the captain out, which would be a big call early in your career. And then, of course, we've got Harrop, Lancaster, Bennett's, et cetera, et cetera, could come in off the front. And maybe you'll see Ted Bishop in central midfield. So I think there'll possibly be two or three changes, but um, like you say, it'll be the same shape and in the main, the same personnel. Now that's my that's my guess. Yeah, and it seems a lot more, at least Cook's got this identity and you, know, you sort of know what's going to happen as a fan. Whilst Pompey, Joe Gallen, who's the assistant manager, under Kenny Jacket was retained to, to to let the team play on Tuesday and leave the team out. I mean, it was pretty awful in the first half. I don't know why he went to a back three, which has never worked for us all season. It's been the most awful formation we've played all year. And he's <laughs> just decided in his one game. Sometimes, Hugh, it's just get as many defenders on the pitch as you can and try not to lose, isn't it? Honestly. Yeah, six defenders pretty much playing. Oh, jeez. Uh, so, yeah, obviously we, we go one nil down to Peterborough in a scrappy game and... Uh, Yes, they changed. I mean, Peterborough are good. They weren't great yesterday. I'm gonna put that. But up. but they're a they're a highly they've got good output. Then let's say that. Yes, they do. And you know when you can bring someone like Mo Iser off the bench, yes. Dembele, they've got that depth. But yeah, we went back to four four two and looked a lot better in the second half. Still, don't look like scoring any goals. I don't know if John Marcus has still got a knock. He might be a doubt for the game as well. Ellis Harrison, again, he won't be playing. So up front is a bit of a question mark. Jordi Hawula will probably could come in, but for some reason the coaching staff are being a little bit weird with playing him from the start and just seem to want to bring him on. Otherwise, Ronan Curtis will probably play up front. The likeliness of that is that he'll have to have a midfielder next to him, someone like Ryan Williams or Marcus Harness, who Marcus Harness would be the better option, the more dangerous option. You know, he's a, obviously he got a first call up for Ireland. He's he's quick quick feet great close control can shoot and also play the ball through to the striker so for me if he starts up front with someone like Geordie Hawula that's quite a pacey front line and that's what we needed because Pompey didn't look like scoring unless it was a set piece goal mouth scramble um, (laughs) put into them we missed the opportunities to score from those as well but that looked like where we were most likely to win against Peterborough and what I've got to say is the one of the most dreadful pictures I've ever seen in League One um, yeah, the, the water main burst um, a few months ago, didn't it? And it's been yeah. absolutely screwed ever since, hasn't it? They they hold their hands up, and he, the, the Peterborough owner's obviously very um, uh, 
not shy in coming forward on Twitter, let's just say. And no, he, he has good. held his hands up and said, um, you know, it's it's an absolute state, that pitch, isn't it? But they water it at half-time. So it was like this choppy ground pitch. And then apparently they said it, it helps Peterborough's style. So they flooded the pitch at half-time. Oh, it was really wet. And I, I don't understand why, because it just made the game very difficult to pass the ball. Well, the, en- I thought is- the only way you're able to water some grass is if there's some grass in the first place. <laughs> They just muddied it, mate. It was very much yeah. uh, ilk to Glastonbury Festival. I think. <laughs> you know, bang the baseball the ground circa 1975. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's uh, let's get to a little conclusion here, and I'm just going to ask you the game against Portsmouth on Saturday. What's your score prediction? Um, low scoring draw, possibly. I and that would represent a reaction for both teams. Obviously, you've been on a losing streak. I mean, what interests me most is that. Um, if the Cowleys are announced today, I suspect they'll think that they've got enough time uh, given um, the couple of days and given that um, it's, a, it's a home game for Pompey, isn't it? I'm not getting that the wrong way, wrong way round. Yeah. yeah. Um, given that it's a home game, um, that they'll, you know, that they'll be able to think that they can actually have an influence on how the team, how the team plays. So um, it's always that thing of how much info do they take um, from the people who are already there and how much do they try and influence it themselves. But yeah, new manager bounce, new manager schmounce, where, where I come from, very grumpy about this type of thing. So um, I think we can get something. I'm more confident than the previous time when Lambert was there and we would lose all the time. But what I will say, Hugh, is if we play anything anything like last night um we will not be returning with any points put it that way there needs to be but that's the same for both teams there needs to be a a trend up for both doesn't there yeah one win in eight for Pompey at the moment ouch uh four losses in a row now in the league five in all competitions if you can count the penalty loss against Salford I mean this team if it was trend if you could trend any more downwards than us it would be completely (laughs) vertical Sheffield Wednesday (laughs) I mean, we're 10th now in the league after being top at Christmas. So that, yeah. that really shows how it's imploded. But come on, we'll be a little bit positive. New manager in, bit of time. I, I would be happy. I think we're now in 10th. It's, we're not looking great, but 1-1. One, one. There you go. I yeah, think I think, I think I'm on the same page. There's just no evidence. Um, this sounds awful. There's just no evidence that either team's going to play really well and just demolish no. the other, is there? No, not at all. And I, yeah. I came out and gave a net. I went on uh, BBC Radio Northamptonshire to give a little bit of a preview for them for our game. And they were out like flabbergasted. That, well, I said that I think it'd be nil-nil at best. And, you know, they were you know, likely to go on and pip one. Was it like 4-0 like, at half-time or something? 4-0 at half-time. It was 4-1 oh in total. Um, so... Yeah, Ipswich have got the ability to to rip us open if they play on their game. And it'll be interesting to see how the players react to, you know, a vocal coach coming in and just telling yeah. them because they look toothless at the moment. That's the problem. They just don't look up for a 50-50 ball. So um if that's the case, I think Ipswich will come away with the win. I'm banking on them to shake the team a little bit enough that we can edge out a nil a one-one draw. There's got to be a difference. There's no way that it can be exactly the same for Pompey. There's got there's got to be it, you know, it has to, even if it trends up just a little bit, there has to be something. This squad's too good to literally keep playing like they are now. Yeah. That's what it is. And that's that's confidence and that's circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. 
anyway, Benjamin, thanks again for coming back on the podcast. It's always great to speak to you about everything Ipswich and, uh, and Pompey as well. You're very, very welcome at Benjamin Bloom on Twitter and subscribe to the Benjamin Bloom Football Channel over on YouTube. And if you want to catch a beautifully balanced and wonderful, sorry, I've gone into my sales pitch voice. Here, no, do it, mate. Wonderful review. Um, the Blue Monday podcast will be covering this, hopefully very even-handedly. So you can, um, if Pompey play well, we'll say Pompey played well. So um, go and check that out, Blue Monday podcast on all your podcast platforms and YouTube as well do it because I listened this week and it was very good as a first time listener and a non-Ipswich fan so you guys do a great job but thanks again Benjamin from the pod mate you're welcome thanks Benjamin for coming on the podcast do you know what Ipswich Town are sort of feel very much of a kin with Pompey two teams let's go basic they're playing blue two teams that probably their resting places in the championship two teams that have had awful management you know, issues with the fans because of the management wanting them out. And two teams have not really played the best football going forward because of that. And now both teams have brought in sort of charismatic, but slightly different managers really with Cowley and Paul Cook. Yeah. And I've actually done some stats, which Freddie's going to love. Um, and I, I, In regards to, um, in regards to Paul Cook's kind of start of his career at Ipswich and, you can see that they're trying to play a certain way. Um, obviously, like I've looked at the possession stats. That their, their last two games under um, under Paul Lambert, they had twenty six percent possession and thirty nine percent possession. That twenty six percent possession was at home as well. They end up winning the games, but under Paul Cook, they've averaged around fifty nine percent possession uh, out of their last four games. So you can see you can see that he's trying to get them to play a certain way. They're in transition, if you like. They're you know, Paul Cook hasn't had a summer like he did with us to kind of bring in the players he wants. I do think they're very much a work in progress and I think there's potentially some players in there that, that aren't suited to the way that Paul Cook wants to play. Because um, you look at the, the kind of style he wants, it's an expansive style, play out from the back, have good passes to the ball, especially in your centre-halves, you want to have some good passes to the ball. And I don't necessarily think he's got that at the moment. I do think over the summer he will have that and he will implement a good style um, at Ipswich Town going forward uh, but when you look at it this is what Gary mentioned that he, he said earlier Danny Cowley's very good at setting up against teams that play they've got a very set style and, and I do think Ipswich will try and maybe set up a game plan to counteract that and it, it could end up being quite beneficial uh, so yeah it'll be an interesting matchup and just to see how Pompey kind of tactically set up against Ipswich yeah, and I don't know if you guys paid much attention to the game with Ipswich played against Plymouth, but I was having a chat on the third tier shows, the League One show, go and check it out, the guys from Jewels and the Blood, etc. But I, I I did a little focus on on the Plymouth game. And as I was talking to Benjamin on the on the pod then, they played the first 20 minutes with a real Paul Cook. They they got the ball high, they they sort of dominated possession they played some really nice through balls they pressed when they needed to and they looked really good I thought Plymouth looked absolutely rattled they got a goal because Plymouth tried to play out from the back and one of their players uh, Troy Parrott young 19 year old got his first senior goal he just makes that run and just it just guesses the interception pass from the going back to the goalkeeper takes it around him and scores nicely they could have been three 0 up though quite easily. Flint Dallas has a free kick that he plays on, and the goalkeeper makes a great save out of it. He's injured now, I think we're saying. Yep. So that there's going to be a big miss for them in the middle of midfield as well. 
which really does give Pompey an opportunity to step in and outwork Ipswich in the middle of the field. We know what Cook, what Cook will do, but if Pompey can actually do what we do best, which is a physical game, pressing from the front, forcing Ipswich to try and play out from the back, which Cook will want to play the ball through the midfield, I think we've actually got a decent chance to beat them. Now, I'm not saying we're going to beat them. I've actually predicted a 1-1 already, as the listeners have already heard. But I'm going to chuck it to you guys now. Freddie, what's your score prediction? Uh, I went for a 2 all draw on the, Ipswich, on the Ipswich podcast that I went on earlier with Martin Lambert, which will be on my Twitter. And I do think that's a reasonable result. Obviously, Ipswich have got that style of play that we all know that Paul Cook loves. And it creates chances, no matter who the players are on the pitch. But if, if Portsmouth get get a bit about them, especially under uh, under the Cowleys with that grit and determination, this side can score goals potentially. They've Ipswich have also got a lot, a lot of key injuries. Nolan in the midfield, who I really liked um, when Ipswich played against Portsmouth in the cup, he's injured. James Norwood, who I think is their best striker, injured. Um, certain players who I also like in the side. Did you know they had Luke Matheson? Yes, that kid yeah. from Rochdale who went to Wolves. He can't get a game. For some reason, I don't know how he isn't getting a game, but there we are. I heard he's more likely to start in this game. I think Benjamin was saying. Don't know if it's true, but he's more attacking, definitely. And I think mm. more mm. Paul Cook for he's sure. A very Paul Cook player. Yeah, he's I was such a Paul player. Cook player, isn't he? In that sense, he 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 oozes Paul Cook. Mm. Mm. But yeah, bearing all that in mind, they've got injuries. They're a large squad, and obviously, obviously Paul Cook would have. He takes no prisoners with his uh, squad. You're either in his squad or you're not. So he would have alienated a few of them, I think. So yeah, it, it, there's potential for Portsmouth to get a result out of this game. I'm not going to say that they win the game, but a point could be um, a realistic get. I think James Norman might be back because I'm not sure it was a proper injury. He had a drink driving incident, which is fairly well publicised. Oh, really? The guy told me he was injured. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure if he could play or not, unless I'm being mugged off. If, if I am, that's hilarious. But yeah, so I, I expect he could be back actually um, in, in for Jackson in this game. We'll see if that happens or not. But Jackson is a different player. He runs the channels well. He created some good opportunities. In fact, I think he created an opportunity against Plymouth where Judd should have should have tucked away. It was on the penalty spot and it was easier to, to score than miss it and he, and he absolutely fluffs it. One-on-one, he has the opportunity against the goalkeeper. Didn't rate him. He sort of played it in straight into him. A bit like we're seeing with John Marcus at the moment. Lack of confidence. So is Hawkins not going to start then? Hawkins has not even been mentioned in the half an hour discussion we had. I didn't bother bringing it up from a Pompey perspective. It didn't seem that relevant. But yeah, Hawkins is definitely... A, I think I listened to their podcast and someone said, oh, I forgot about Ollie Hawkins. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's the you know top lad. But the, I think that's where he sits in the pecking order out of switch Sam what's your score prediction um, I'm going to going to stick my neck out I'm going to say 2-0 Pompey um, I'm not basing this off anything apart from the new manager coming in I don't believe that the uh, the second half performance at Peterborough probably merits me saying 2-0 Pompey I'm just basing it on that new manager bounce that hopefully I think we're going to get and I like to be quite positive about Pompey I don't like to you know, I wouldn't watch the game if I think we're going to lose. So uh, I'd like to think we're going to go out there, get into them, press them from the front, expose some of these players that aren't quite the Paul Cook start, like Paul Cook type of player, especially in that kind of that central defence area. I'd like to see Williams maybe starting up front uh, alongside Marquis, or if he's in, I don't know if Marquis come back or not, but I'd like to see Williams up front, press him from the front, 
that's where we've been successful um, this season, that pressing 4-4-2. Maybe try and get back to that, get back to what we've been successful at because I'm not quite sure why it was abandoned so quickly under the previous management. But um, hopefully that's what we can get back to on um, on Saturday and pick up a good 2-0 win. Just talk about the strikers quickly before we go. Freddie, is Hawila going to start up front? Harrison's out. <laughs> How I are mean, going to turn up and be like, I don't know if I have no idea. <laughs> I honestly have no idea because, well, there's a reason for him to start because if Jacob, Jacob still doesn't fit, so you would have to imagine Curtis would play on the left. He's he, he, he's the most he's the best option we have on the left, and you can choose Williams or Harness on the right as well. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I don't know why he mentioned me. Obviously, I, I, I somehow predicted that he'd score a brace in the AFL Trophy final. That didn't go down well either, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, shall we? Not all your predictions can be golden, Freddie. But anyway, everyone listening, thanks for listening. Uh, it's much appreciated. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. 